Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. We are in our series on Nehemiah, and uh, we're uh, the subtext or subtitle to the series is From Rubble to Revival. Sometimes we think about rubble, you think of a blown up city, and that in case, and it's true in case that sometimes it is a city that's been bombed out, maybe a bomb's gone off, but oftentimes the rubble represents areas of our lives. Sometimes marriages, or there's a lot of rubble in marriages, sometimes uh, it, it, there's rubbles in, in rubble in the workplace, in neighborhoods, there's all kinds of brokenness that shows up in our lives. And the movement in this story, that's Nehemiah's story, uh, the movement is, is the story is going from rubble to revival. In fact, God is going to reform his people in that process as well. And Brian got us started uh, uh, last week on this series. We're looking at chapter one. We're going to be in chapter two. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, go there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one that looks like just the one, like the one I'm going to be using this morning. Uh, go to page 769. You will find Nehemiah chapter two. I'm going to read it here in a bit. Uh, on that page, you'll see two columns. If you're not used to navigating your way around the Bible, there's two columns on that, on that page, 769. The, the column on the right has got a big number two. That's the chapter. That's the number for the chapter. And there's little numbers kind of interspersed throughout the paragraphs. That's the verses. And so when you hear me refer to chapters and verses, that'll kind of help you find your way. Um, but let me just start by asking you a question. How many of you, and you can raise your hand on this one, how many of you are dealing with a problem today? Uh, okay, okay, keep, keep those hands up. Okay, some kind of problem, big or small. Okay, a lot of people have problems. How many people, there's, there's someone, you know someone in the room today that's, that has a problem? Um, raise your hand. How many of you are sitting next to your problem? Don't raise your hand on that one. Don't, don't raise your hand on that one. Here's, here's what I'm going to do right from the very beginning. I want to tell you, here's my main idea. Your life will be directed by what your ultimate problem is. Your life will be directed by your ultimate problem. Whether you can articulate it or not, that, that ultimate problem will actually influence your decision making. It will influence the, your attitudes, your behaviors. Your, your life will be directed by your ultimate problem. I'll just give you a few examples. For some people, their ultimate problem is the, is the accumulation of wealth. It's acquiring money. And so um, the decisions in life will look like, hey, I'm... That filter will, will keep you from saying yes to some jobs. You'll say no to some jobs and yes to others. In fact, when this really gets rooted in people, in fact, even the person they choose to marry may be filtered by that ultimate problem. It is driven by a, a desire for wealth. Maybe an ultimate problem for someone is being healthy. So that will determine uh, maybe where you shop, uh, the, what you buy in your grocery store, what you put into your body, how much time you give to exercise. Maybe your ultimate problem is the approval of people. You want people to like you. And if that's your ultimate problem, sometimes you'll find yourself saying yes to things. Uh, the word no is not in your vocabulary. You'll say yes to something, and then you'll go home, or you'll go back to your desk at work, and you'll go, why did I say yes to that? I don't want to do that. But there was something in you that just wanted to please the person and gain their approval. There are, uh, there are some of you in the room who are longing you are longing for affirmation from your mom or your dad. You're longing to hear them say to you, I'm proud of you, I accept you. And if, if that's a predominant filter, your life will be directed by that as well. And while those things, you know, there's, there's good and bad to all those things, that, um, that, that they're really, we wanna give our lives to not surfacey problems, we wanna give our, our lives to, so, to kingdom problems that God would use us to bring solutions to. People who follow Jesus embrace problems. So 
What we need to be able to do is embrace noble problems. We want to embrace causes or purposes that have, they might be for seasons, it might be, it might be a lifelong calling, but we need to be able to articulate. So let's put this question up here on the screen again. What's your problem? And we need to get concrete on this. You need to be able to answer this question. And if you can't, that's okay. It's all right. Actually, what that might mean is you just hit the mute button right now and, or maybe you slip out and go to Broadway Commons, go to the upper room. And, and, and here's why, because God has something on his heart. And what happens is when God has something on his heart, he puts it on people's hearts. And so he's gifted us and called us. And so one of the things that we really need to answer is what's your problem? You want to know what my problem is? Here's my problem. <laughs> I'm telling you, this guy is on God's heart. He needs us. He's taking pot shots at me, calling me, oh, that's not my problem. That's Brian. We just, we kind of poke fun at each other. Here, when I was in business and I was working at Lure Jensen, it was a fishing tackle company in Hood River, Oregon. Um, I, I, I noticed something. I noticed that I could live in a neighborhood and I could be surrounded by people who had no idea who Jesus was and is and they could live close to me and never hear about Jesus for a variety of reasons. And then as I looked at my church, I, it was a great church, but we, we, we loved each other, and we were, but we were pretty inward and, and they were all interspersed in neighborhoods in our city and, and the people that were surrounding them, it was so easy for them to never hear about Jesus and something got a hold of me. This problem was birthed in my heart and uh, that it, you, could, you, could be, you could be around Christians, you could be around people who had such great things to say, important news to deliver and yet never hear it. And so my solution that I, I kind of wrote this out, it was, it's kind of brash, but I, uh, 27 years ago, I said, I want to make it difficult for the people in my city to go to hell. That was the solution that I had to my problem. And as I looked at the church, what I, what I wanted to say is I, I, I want the church to be restored to the ra radiant bride that she is intended to be, and I want her to love one another and love their community. That, that, was, that was what got me into my problem. And, 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 and that there's, there's seasons to our problems, and actually that a problem can lead you to another problem, and they're, they're noble problems, and God has something on his heart. And when God has something on his heart, he puts it on people's hearts. Moses, God has his heart that the people will be freed from Egypt, he puts it on Moses' heart. Moses is hesitant, and like, we can all understand that, but Moses eventually goes and he says, let my people go to Pharaoh. David has a problem, his name is Goliath. He's taunting the armies of Israel. And something just gets down in David's gut and he just can't take it that this giant is taunting God. Esther has a problem. There's a racist named Haman who wants to wipe out the Jewish people. Paul has a problem. Paul, the apostle Paul's problem is not prison. His problem is not that he's being flogged and whipped. His problem is not that he's floating in the sea because there's a shipwreck. His problem is that the Gentile nations have not heard of who Jesus Christ is. And so all that other stuff is just stuff because his problem is he wants to get the good news out. What's your problem? We need to get concrete on this. Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a problem, and it all begins in chapter one. Brian got us started on this last week, and he told us the story. Nehemiah has a friend named Hanani. Hanani comes back from Judah, from Jerusalem, where he has seen what's going on there, and Nehemiah asks the question, how's it going? And Hanani answers the question. He says, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. 
When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And Brian walked us through that prayer that Nehemiah prayed last week. Here's one of the the ways that you can discover the problem, the thing that God had, had on his heart that he's putting on your heart. It typically causes an emotional response. There's something in you that rises. You, you say, That's not right. It's not right that people don't hear about Jesus. It's not right that children are being abused. It's not right that people are living in poverty. It's not right that, that, that people aren't being discipled. It's, it's not right. You fill in the blank. And when you, take, when you detect an emotional response to that, that's the seedling of a call. God is beginning to put something on your heart and he's beginning to stir something in you and it could be for a season, could be short, could be long, could be your entire life. But that's the beginning of how to detect God putting something on your heart. Nehemiah asks a simple question, he gets the news and it hits him like a ton of bricks. It, it bursts an emotional response to him. And he's weeping, he's mourning, he's fasting, and he's praying. And what I want to do is just answer this question, what do we do when we sense God has something on his heart and he's put it on our heart? How do we respond to that? And I'll just begin by, by saying this, uh, this is kind of, just, Brian walked us through this last week, work the problem into your soul with prayer and fasting. When you, when you sense that something is on God's heart that he's put on your heart, it's your ultimate problem and your life will be directed by your ultimate problem. You will order your life in bringing a solution to this problem. But the place to start is prayer and fasting. And Brian talked to us about that quote from John Wesley where Wesley said, prayer is where the action is. Now, for some of us, it just doesn't feel realistic that that's where the action is. But we learn from Nehemiah's story, actually, he's, he's praying and fasting, he's mourning, he's weeping for four to five months. He's letting this soak down into his soul and it's shaping who he is. And he's gonna do it a long time because what he, before he starts jumping into this problem, he wants to make sure that, that God is in this as well. So he's praying for favor. Maybe it's a fleece for him. He's a cupbearer to the king, and the king's gonna have to give permission, and there's all kinds of doors that have to be open for him, so he's gonna have to pray. And I wanna read to you from Nehemiah 2 here, about 10 verses um, after his prayer there. He says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. Pause button there. The cupbearer, people are happy in the king's presence. The the king wants joy in his presence. He doesn't want sad people or troubled people, and this is why Nehemiah is terrified. And there's some other reasons, and I'll explain those in a moment. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. Great place to start. How can I not be sad for the the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? 
After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests. Here's a phrase you're going to hear often in the book of Nehemiah. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, has sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. God has something on his heart. He puts it on Nehemiah's heart. God has something on his heart. He puts it on your heart. What do you do? When that happens, you, you, you pray this into your soul. You're, you're fasting. You're, you're, you're praying. Prayer's where the action is. And here's the next thing that Nehemiah does. He's, he, he, we need to be ready to seize the opportunities that come before us. There's an opportunity. He's poised to make the most of this opportunity. For four or five months, he's been praying, and, and there's no doubt he's probably been rehearsing what he's going to say if if the king notices and if God puts it on the king's heart to ask the question. So he's, he's poised to make the, make the most of an opportunity. And this is a risky opportunity he's gonna walk into. This could cost him his life. You see, there was a king who put a stop work order on the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Do you know who that king was? This king. The book of Ezra records that Artaxerxes stopped the rebuilding that was taking place in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is going to say, uh, Mr. Artaxerxes, uh, and Mrs. Artaxerxes, uh, you made a uh, bad policy decision some years back, and I'd like you to change it. I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to rebuild the city of my ancestors. I'm going to want some letters from you uh, to, to provide uh, safe travels there. And I'll, oh, by the way, I'm going to need your visa card because I got to go to Home Depot and Lowe's, and I got I to buy a bunch of lumber and construction material. And I'm going to need I'm, I'm going to need that for the temple and for my house and for the walls and all of that. And he's poised to make the most of every opportunity. And the opportunity comes his way, and he steps through it. And, and it's then that it's God, gives the, God gives the green light. What do you do? God has something on his heart. He puts it on your heart. What do you do? Work it into your soul with prayer and fasting. Be poised to make the most of every opportunity, which then leads us to the third thing that Nehemiah does. I actually want to pick it up in Ezra, chapter 8, verse 32. Um, Ezra goes to Jerusalem. He's rebuilding the temple. And interesting to note this. He says, so we arrived safely in Jerusalem where we rested For three days. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 says, So I arrived in Jerusalem. The door was open. The opportunity was there. He's headed now. He gets there. Three days later, I slipped out during the night. Here's something we we might miss this if we're hurrying our way through this passage. The problem has presented itself. And now the green light has been given. And what's the first thing that Ezra does? What's the first thing that Nehemiah does when they get to the, to the city they're gonna do this re- rebuilding uh, project? They're going to rest. Three days, Ezra rests. Three days, Nehemiah rests. And can I just say that when God has something on his heart and he puts it on your heart, you and I need to pace ourselves. Pace yourself. 
Sometimes problems are so urgent that when we get the green light, maybe we have been praying and the green light comes and we get going and we're frothing at the mouth and we just got to go, 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 go. And we weary ourselves, we exhaust ourselves because we got this huge problem that God has put on our heart and, and, and we want to get it done and, and, and we find ourselves exhausted. We find ourselves weary. Friends, we don't rest from work. We work from rest. And there's a subtle difference. And one author has helped us understand that, that when we're weary and when we're tired, we're not our best selves. And actually, he gives some counsel when he says, when you're tired or exhausted, don't make important decisions. Don't write important letters or important emails. Don't launch new projects. Don't stop old projects. Don't quit. Maybe you're here today and thinking about quitting. Don't make that decision when you're weary and exhausted. Uh, don't assess someone's spiritual condition when you're exhausted. Don't assess your own spiritual condition when you're exhausted. Don't make big relationship decisions. Don't make big financial decisions when you're weary. Pace yourself. Work from rest. Don't rest from work. Nehemiah has a big problem. The, the city is in a mess, and he could jump right in, but he, you know, he's going to take three days, and he's just going to rest. Pace yourself. Let me just pick up the story again in Nehemiah chapter two because that'll lead us quickly to uh, the remaining part of what Nehemiah does as God shares what's on his heart with his servant. Uh, verse 11, chapter two. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate, which would be a bummer neighborhood to live in, to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. God has something on his heart. He's put it on Nehemiah's heart. God has something on his heart. He's put it on your heart. And your life will be directed by your ultimate problem. What do you do? You work this into your soul with prayer and action. You're poised to seize the opportunity. And by the way, uh, Nehemiah shoots up an arrow prayer 
Oh, God, help me. You ever prayed one of those? Oh, Lord, help me. Moments of prayer are powered by months of prayer. Moments of prayer are powered by months of prayer. And, and then we get, we get going in this, in this whole situation here in um, Nehemiah's there, and he's rested, he's paced himself, and, and now the next thing he does, he checks his motives. Nehemiah doesn't come running into town with this parade and with you know, cheerleaders leading out front, you know, give me an N, give me an E, none of that. It's not, it's not the theme song to Mighty Mouse, here I am to save the day. No one even knows he arrived. This isn't the empire builder coming down to, to turn things around and, 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 uh, and, and to be the hero of the day. That's, that's not, he's checking his motives. He's quietly, he hasn't told anyone. And then he's examining the problem. He's, he's examining carefully the problem and he's, he's going around the walls with just a few people and one animal because they want to make a, a bunch of noise. And once he's examined that, that problem carefully, the next thing that he does is he helps people see the, the mess that they are in. He helps people see the problem. Now, how does he do that? Because you and I know that we know you can, God has something on his heart. He's put it on my heart. I'm gonna tell people the problem. I've prayed. There's an opportunity. I've seized it. I've checked my motives. But oftentimes, you ever had this experience? You share an idea with someone at work or you share an idea at home and the spirit of Eeyore fills the room. It'll never work. We did that once before. It was horrible. That's a horrible idea. What are you thinking? Part of casting the vision for a problem to be solved is, is having check motives, also having your facts straight, but it's also helping people see the mess they are in. The citizens in Jerusalem, some of them were born into this mess. They don't know anything different. They don't, they don't, they don't know what life could be like. And so Nehemiah has to help people see the problem. How does he do that? He's got all his facts, he's coming, he's rested, he's paced himself, and he sits down and he tells his story. He, Hanani came and he visited me and I asked him, you know, how, how, how things going down here? And he said, man, it's not good. People living in disgrace are being taken advantage of by people surrounding neighbors. It's, it's not pretty, Nehemiah. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I was mourning, I was crying, I was weeping. I prayed and fasted for four or five months I did this. And I prayed for an opportunity, because I was a cupbearer to the king, and I prayed for this opportunity that I could just share with the king this situation and be freed up to come and rebuild the city. And one day he noticed that I was sad and troubled and he asked me what was going on. And I said, I was terrified. I shot a prayer up and, I, I, and I, I'm terrified because my life could have, could have ended right then and there. And I told them that I wanted to go back and rebuild the city. And the people probably said, okay, well, what did he say? What did he say? And he asked me how long I was gonna be away. And I, so I told him how long I was gonna be away. And then what I said is, I'm gonna need some letters from you to, to keep me safe on the journey because people are gonna question my motives on this. So I need some protection that way. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna need your visa card. You asked for the king's visa card? Yeah, I did. What did he say? He gave me his wallet. It's amazing. I've been to Home Depot. I'm headed to Lowe's. I got the construction material coming. And the people are hearing this story. They're going, you've got to be kidding. This is the same king who put a stop work order in not that long ago. God must be in this. God has something on his heart. He's put it on Nehemiah's heart. And what happens when we've prayed this into our soul, when we seize the opportunity, when our motives are checked, when we have examined, you know, on the motive check, sometimes our ultimate problems, we think they are noble, but they are driven. We, we, ha we want to be part of something significant, but we're driven by, a, by a, this identity of being insignificant, and we lust for significance. And it distorts the noble cause. 
And, and Nehemiah has, has checked his motives and he's examined, he's cast, here's what happens. When you cast a vision and God has something on his heart, it's put on your heart, oftentimes other people, God will put it on their heart as well. You don't have to force it. He will put it on their heart. In fact, you get to chapter three. Chapter three, you have the whole rebuilding of the wall happening, and what you'll see is this person was next to this person. By the way, they're rebuilding the wall in front of their own house. It's a great leadership idea Nehemiah has. They're gonna be motivated to build a wall in front of their own house. This person next to this person who's next to this person who's next to this person. If you read Nehemiah 3, it just says next to, next to, next to, next to. And if you read Nehemiah, it says there was a goldsmith, there were jewelers, there were merchants, there were farmers. Everyone was in on the vision of rebuilding the city wall. God has something on his heart. He's put it on Nehemiah's heart. God has something on his heart. He's put it on your heart. And oftentimes when that happens and you get an opportunity and you cast the vision and people are in, they're like, yes, let's do it. There's one more thing you need to know. It's the last thing. You need to expect opposition. Sometimes we, we, we look back, did I, did I miss it? I thought God said, and we, we hit opposition and there's potholes and there's turbulence and in Nehemiah, it's the unholy trinity of Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab. Scoffing, mocking. Who do you think you are? You, you're gonna do that? Do you, do you not know your past? Do you not remember who you, your failures? You're nobody. Expect to hear that. Expect opposition. S somehow we get in this idea that if we embrace the things that are in God's heart, there's just gonna be no potholes and no turbulence. That comes with it, unfortunately. And there's reasons for that. And we'll talk more about that next week. Paul, writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, says these words in 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work. And I was going to say to his son Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. What's your problem? What, what, what's he put on your heart? Keep your head. Do a hardship. And do the work. Work it into your soul by praying and fasting. Seize those opportunities. Pace yourself. Check your motives. Gather your facts. Examine things carefully. Help people see the problem they're in. And expect Opposition but expect to be used by God. What you're gonna see in this story is a wall that has been in rubble, has been torn down for 94 years. They will rebuild it in 52 days. How, how did they do that? Because God has something on his heart and he put it on Nehemiah's heart and God has something on his heart and he's putting it on your heart. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.